Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. And I am Gail, and we are delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Our signature is featuring women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who lead lives that illustrate inspiring ways to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. And today we're pleased to introduce you to Dr. Miriam Ben-Yosef, age 70. And I'll just say up front that Miriam has been my friend and colleague for over 30 years. Miriam's story will take you from Romania, where she was born, to Israel, where she lived for many years, to Chicago, where she earned her doctorate from Northwestern University, then served as vice president in a major bank, and in 1991 joined the faculty of the School for New Learning at DePaul University. During her tenure at DePaul, Miriam was named 2006 Illinois Professor of the Year, and in 2014 received DePaul's Via Sapiense Award, uh, the highest honor bestowed upon faculty and staff for a dedicated service. Now, as you'll hear, Miriam crosses boundaries, geographical, cultural, social. Uh, she retired from her full-time faculty position in 2014. And always the educator, Miriam will talk about key lessons learned from her fascinating life experiences, what now brings her joy and fulfillment, and her intentions to live her remaining years, as she says, with empathy, authenticity, and meaning. So welcome, Miriam, to Women Over 70. We're eager to explore reimagining aging with you. Thank you, Catherine. I'm honored to be here. Um, aging, surprisingly, has been liberating for me most of the time. Have more <laughs> choices, more freedom, more room for authenticity, which I have to watch because that's a double sword. Uh, many people who age say, oh, I'm old enough now I can say anything I want. Well, <laughs> maybe not. Um, aging has also been connecting for me, connecting the distant past to an uncertain future mm -hmm. in some ways. And when I say distant past, it's really going beyond when I was born. Just to give you an example, the Holocaust happened before I was born, mm -hmm. and yet it had a tremendous influence on me. I, see I saw family come back from the camps, mm -hmm. and I was trying to understand what happened, trying to erase the numbers on their arms, mm -hmm. which I child, couldn't as it? a child. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we left Romania and came to Israel. I learned a little bit more about the Holocaust, but my major learning occurred here in the United States mm -hmm. when a colleague, Ambassador John Kordak, asked me to teach a course about the Holocaust mm -hmm. with him, which I did, and it was one of the most amazing experiences that I've done during my teaching. And I just, you brought students to 
on sites, right? We did. Yeah. Uh, most of the time we went to Washington because there was no Holocaust Museum here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, but one time we went to the actual mm -hmm. sites, which was an amazing experience. And I'm still in touch with some of the students who took that trip. Mm -hmm. It was a transformative experience for all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, to connecting um, in aging, I also did my best to integrate experience and lessons learned into this um, era. Uh, so when I talk about experience, um, it's a little bit morbid because what punctuated my life uh, was death. Mm -hmm. uh, the death of my father after he was a political prisoner at the age of seven, uh, when um, my mother decided that now that my father was dead, we, was, we were going to leave uh, Romania and go to Israel. Mm -hmm. So that was a major decision for her at that time. Only we had to wait eight years to receive our visa and oh, then really? leave without nothing uh, to Israel. So you're 15 when you So I'm 15 when we left. Mm -hmm. And that was a major experience for me, as you can imagine, made in a way possible by my father's death because my father would not have gone to Israel uh, if he were alive. Um, once we arrived uh, in uh, the United States shortly thereafter, I think I knew you already then, Catherine, uh, my husband's first wife died mm -hmm. and I became an instant parent to his children uh, from his first marriage. The uh, instant mother at the ripe at old age of 25. At 25. Mm -hmm. Two boys ages 5 and 10. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know for whom this experience was more challenging, probably for all of us <laughs> in different ways, but we made it. So, so that's the good news. And then last but, but not least, uh, my mother died when I was 30, which uh, was probably the hardest experience for me. And Again, it was the major reason why we didn't return to Israel. Mm -hmm. So these three deaths pretty much punctuated mm -hmm. my life and um, outlined it the way it is. So in addition to that, there were all these departures, departures from Romania, departure from Israel, and crossing borders, cultures, languages, which also form you in addition to, to the other experiences. But the good part was that I was able to incorporate all that in my life and in, into my teaching. Mm -hmm. Most of my classes are based on what I experienced. And um, I think that was, for the most part, good because students do like it when you have some experience to base your classes on and not only theory. So some of the courses I remember around transitions. Yes. And, and what are some of the other courses that you... Uh, managing a cross-cultural environment, women managers mm -hmm. and women ma uh, entrepreneurs across cultures, the course on the Holocaust. So all these were based on some kind of experience. And also when I um, uh, worked at the bank, I was able to apply some of my experiences to, to the kind of work I was 
doing. And what were you doing at the bank? Well, all kinds of jobs. <laughs> um, uh, at the beginning, uh, writing policies and procedures for the bank. That was on the domestic side. Then I went over to the international side. And I was in treasury management, uh, managing research and um, training for a certain group. That's how I met another old friend mm -hmm. of ours mm -hmm. now, uh, Cheryl, who also worked at the bank. Just to mention, Cheryl yeah. is uh, a, a, a podcast guest. We have an episode. I don't remember the exact number, uh, but Cheryl Cornell. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's one of my joys when friends from one period of my life meet other friends from other periods mm -hmm. of my life. So uh, these were the significant experiences that I had. And then uh, I integrated those with lessons mm -hmm. learned. So Do you can, want to share some of those? Yes, certainly. Um, most of the lessons came actually directly from my mother via these experiences. And perhaps the most important one uh, was anything is possible, but the most important thing in life is not to hurt other people. Mm. Which is, sounds wonderful, but sometimes is conflicting because you want to follow the first and then mm -hmm. the second one stops you or you get stuck on the second one and mm -hmm. the first one says, well, yeah, but anything is possible. Mm -hmm. So that was one. Uh, the second, um, and, and I still make my decision based on this first principle that my mother was major author too, mm -hmm. was self-reliance. Mm -hmm. Um, she always used to tell me nothing is more important than education. And what you have up here pointing to you, to her head, nobody can take away. And, and you can't blame her for saying that. Mm. She went through the Nazi era, mm. then the communist mm. era, where everything was lost, life and property. So it was very important for her to know that I can stay on my two, stand on my two feet and sure. be independent and self-reliant and I think she was right to drill that into me and now that I'm aging I still want to be self-reliant and independent and I want to find out everything I need to find mm -hmm. out so that when time comes I can make my own decision I can take care of myself and I don't need, I don't need to be a burden mm -hmm. to anyone mm -hmm. and live happily as long as I, I can. So one, I know one of the current um, things you're involved in is with uh, compassion and choices. You want to say a little bit about that? Yes. So that came out almost directly mm -hmm. from this lesson. Uh, there's no reason for people who had control over their life to then come near death and suffer and have absolutely no control over how they die and when they die, especially when and if they are gravely ill and there's no future for them. So I think medical aid in dying um, is just another option that people should have if they want it. They mm -hmm. don't need to take it. It's not for everyone. It depends on people's values and uh, concerns and so on. But people who do want it mm -hmm. should have a right to have it. And it's available in some states, Oregon most famously, mm -hmm. Um, and we are working hard through uh, Compassion and Choices to, to make that possible 
in Illinois. So, is, that an or, is that an organization, Compassion and Choices? It is a non-for-profit organization, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of information available about them on their wonderful website and what they can do and how they can help with all these things. So CompassionandChoices.org? Yes, CompassionandChoices.org. Great. And Amy Sherman, Sherman mm -hmm. is her last mm -hmm. name, she is probably the person to contact if people want specific information. I know that Catherine is now involved with the Oak Park uh, community and I'm on the action team in Evanston with 25 people from all kinds of areas of life. I went yeah. to one meeting and now I'm co-leader of the Oak Park action team. Well, why I'm <laughs> not so like yeah. 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 So, do you want me to talk more about lessons of learned? Of course, yes, okay. please. So then following this one is the importance of family and friends. Mm -hmm. And because our family is not very big and uh, became smaller, um, friendship was probably one of the most important things in my life. So I consider myself extremely fortunate to still have friends from my childhood, mm -hmm. early childhood even, they're all in Romania. And after a break during Ceausescu, uh, we reestablish contact and we meet periodically, we're in touch, we talk on the phone. And it's interesting because I don't know these people mm -hmm. as adults. Mm -hmm. but I remember them and love them as children. So um, I trust them totally, mm -hmm. although I have no idea what they really <laughs> how they say, how out. they turned out, <laughs> no, no clue, mm -hmm. uh, but um, it doesn't matter. Um, it's okay as it is. And uh, then I have friends of my youth, people who were new, two women in particular who were newcomers in Israel when I landed there at 15, which was probably one of the more difficult periods in my life too, and they were too. So I see them periodically. I think I have somewhat of, a, of an idea about them as adults, you know, mm -hmm. more so than the ones in Romania. And then all my dear friends here in Chicago that I was fortunate to meet while I was at Northwestern and at Continental Bank and finally at DePaul. And as I said before, my biggest joy is to see some of my friends meet each other. Mm -hmm. And I feel as if my life made out of fragments becomes <laughs> one. Yeah. You know, Miriam, I know that you have, um, I think you've taught about it, you've written about it, uh, about home, the meaning of home. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the meaning of home preoccupied me from the very moment that we left my first home, which mm -hmm. was in uh, Sigishwara, Romania. Um, although that home was nationalized by the communists and five families were installed in our mm -hmm. home and we had to share a kitchen together. But eventually most of these people became like family mm -hmm. to us. And, uh, you know, I, I think even my mother stopped resenting it. My, my grandmother a little bit. She never came out of her room to, to meet mm -hmm. anybody, but that was the reality, not only for us, for, for everybody. Still, that house for me still represents home and it represents who I am. Um, although I changed quite a bit, but the core of it. And then after that, all I tried through all my moves and writing is to recreate that feeling of that building, of that 
city, of that country, of the people who came to my mother's kitchen almost every evening to exchange ideas about what happened during the day and solve each other's problems mm -hmm. and just be mm -hmm. with each other. And um, I loved listening to their mm -hmm. stories and until I was told to, to go and <laughs> sleep in my room when I still left the door open and listened, and uh, all these conversations inspired some of my stories mm -hmm. that, I, that I wrote later. And if you come to my home today, you will see pictures of some of my other homes, mm -hmm. because that's one way for me to recreate uh, what I had before. Not that it was perfect, but it felt like I belong there. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while to feel that you belong when you go from one place to another. So I, I did that through uh, these pictures that are on my walls or objects and then through writing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm remembering a, a book and the cover of the book is The Mother's Kitchen. Is that, am I remembering It that? is um, my grandmother's veranda. Close, close. Yeah, yeah. And it was a, painted by, it's a watercolor painting by a patient of my grandfather's. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were not allowed to take anything out, but finally somebody brought it out for me. And I was mm -hmm. so excited when um, I wrote the book about homes and mm -hmm. all kinds of stories mm -hmm. by, by 40 women all over the world. Yep. And the uh, editor uh, said, okay, the publisher, I should say, said, okay, you can use that picture on the cover. That was my biggest mm -hmm. excitement that I could use it on the cover of this book which was about home, mm -hmm. which was about this room that my grandmother never left after the house was nationalized. And it was a beautiful room. <clears throat> Do you have more lessons learned? Because otherwise I would like to kind of move into where you are now, because you're still crossing borders. In a way, in into a way. old age. But I do have a few more okay. lessons All that right. I, I can just quickly mm -hmm. uh, go over. Uh, again, we talked a little bit about relationships and, and friendships mm -hmm. um, in particular. Um, but I also learned that in addition to relationships and some kind of work, what is important to me is helping others, um, being grateful every day for what I have, and not spending any time analyzing and overanalyzing things that didn't go so well or things that I lost and opportunities maybe mm -hmm. that I missed because that makes one unhappy. Mm -hmm. And in my old age, I really want to be as happy as I can. <laughs> so I don't let these things bother me. Uh, I try to, to take advantage of every moment, even small moments, so that... Um, when I read or when I um, see a sunset, it makes me totally happy and I don't have the need to think about other things that I used to sometimes. Uh, in addition to being grateful, one, one thing that I learned but I'm still learning is to forgive others and to forgive myself. That comes a little bit <laughs> more difficult, but uh, I'm, I'm doing my best uh, uh, at this point. And I still pursue certain goals, but being from Transylvania, I allow myself to enjoy things to just happen. Mm 
And sometimes they turn out better than when I planned it very carefully. And I say, why not let more things just happen? Because sometimes life is such that um, the universe collaborates with mm -hmm. you, at least on occasion. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And being optimistic, um, that's also mm -hmm. a good thing. And it's easier now than when mm -hmm. I was young and in the midst of all kinds of upheavals that I had absolutely no control mm -hmm. over. So it's in generally good. Of course, uh, I will not say that it's perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just uh, hoping that to stay healthy and to be able to enjoy all that there is mm -hmm. to enjoy when you have so many more choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, many more choices. Yes. So you've chosen... Uh, you retired from your full-time faculty work about five, six years ago? In 2014, <clears throat> yeah, five years. <clears throat> uh, so what choices have you made in terms of how, how you spend your time, your energy, your commitment? Some old stuff and some new stuff. I'm still teaching, but not necessarily focused on, on stuff that I did before. I'm very excited to teach English as a second mm -hmm. language to newcomers mm -hmm. um, to the United States. It's a way to, to also pay back. Uh, I have a degree on that, but believe it or not, I never really used it or, mm -hmm. or my love for, for teaching English as mm -hmm. a second language because, you know, life took me elsewhere and I did what I had to do at the time. And now I, uh, the focus of my teaching is just mm -hmm. on that, English as a, uh, as a second language uh, for couple of organizations um, and it's one-on-one -on -one, which I love mm -hmm. and you know it always especially with newcomers it always goes beyond language it's about life mm -hmm. you know they have all kinds of questions um, they either have jobs or would like to have a job how do you go about finding a job how do you put together a resume uh, who could I talk to to identify some opportunities what's family life here how do you make friends how do you say hello how do you say goodbye <laughs> everything when we consider everyday ordinary things that we take you know, for granted that we take for granted right yeah, yeah. I know that yeah. you're fluent in several language languages I am. Uh, what languages so my native language is Hungarian um, and then I went to a German school first and then a Romanian school uh, my mother thought it was important to speak French, so I started learning French at an early age, and uh, then Hebrew and English. Mm -hmm. And uh, I unfortunately speak them all with an accent, <laughs> and I'm weakest in my maternal language because mm -hmm. I have nobody to speak it with, mm -hmm. and I never really went to school in it or for it. So um, that sometimes makes me feel bad mm -hmm. because that's part of home to do. Yes. To yeah. speak, and then you wonder, can you really write about home in a different mm -hmm. language? Because mm -hmm. English is different, very different from Hungarian. Yes. Yes. So, as a language, and then the, the cultures that are associated with those languages. Mm -hmm. yeah. The the uh, people that you're working with uh, with ESL, where are they from? So far, um, they are from. China and Japan, mm -hmm. which was very interesting mm -hmm. to me because I learned I learned 
quite a bit about their culture. And um, I, I had another student that I remain in touch from Japan. So some of it got confirmed by the current students, some of it not. I think there are generational differences just as in our culture. Mm -hmm. But so far that I, I did not have other would you share yeah. the name of the organization that you well for? one is northwestern graduate students and postgraduate okay. students and then um the other one uh let me see if i can remember exactly uh, upwardly global upwardly global, global sure. which is a very good organization that mm -hmm. helps all kinds of people um acclimate to the united states um I was, our common our friend who was with the career center yes she is the one yeah. uh, that um, introduced mm -hmm. me Jillian Steele Jillian. yeah mm -hmm. to to the upwardly mo mm -hmm. global she's still very active on that most of my students now come from Northwestern mm. I know that writing is a, a key important part of your life and mm -hmm. I would love for you to read your hundred a hundred word story if you would and is this is this still called flash or is that flash fiction? This was the first, or nonfiction, this is the first very short story that I wrote. And I was amazed and surprised that this journal, one word, 100 word story, actually took it. Mm -hmm. The people there seemed very young. And I said, wow. <laughs> and they're still interested in stuff like that. Well, that was great. And that encouraged me to, to write other short stories. I think my shortest is 100 word. Um, my best probably milieu is the 300. I think mm -hmm. I, I feel that that's, that's good or 500. Mm -hmm. um, 50, I could not do it. Mm -hmm. I tried, but just couldn't because you have to have like a complete story yes, in, uh, yeah. there. So there it goes. The title is My Future Depends on It. I was 15 when we left Romania. It was 1965. Ceausescu just came to power. At the airport, they searched our luggage and peered into our bodies. On the plane, people shared their humiliating experiences with each other while dismantling their shoes and loosening their teeth to uncover hidden treasures. My mother and I rolled our eyes in utter disbelief, just as we did down below when customs people were reaching inside our bodies. The man sitting next to my mother said, I hope I do not have to go to the bathroom until Vienna. My future depends on it. <laughs> so, wow. Thank you. That was <laughs> thank that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yes. Imagine you. the message, the power of the message in just those few words. Right. So it's like a puzzle. You know, you, you have to tell your stories and you have mm -hmm. to watch the number of the words and the kind of words you use. Plus, it's not exactly your language, although I've been speaking it for a long time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was, yeah. <laughs> so perhaps you'll give us um, a list of other, place, other places we can find your work, as I know you've published. Um, these short ones are in the 100-word story postcard. That was an interesting one. I could... Uh, you can only write as much as a postcard contains. Mm. And one of the stories that I remember um, I wrote is the children's mother, and it had to do mm. when, uh, mm. with the period of time when the, the kids came here. And, mm. 
this one, um, fewer than 500. Mm -hmm. um, I'm um, also doing some revision and editing work for them right now, which oh. is very <laughs> nice because I'm learning so much, you know, the, the editor, yes. the publisher mm -hmm. asked me. Uh, so I did, I think, two or three stories for oh. them. So, nice. yeah, those are the ones that lately accepted my work. <clears throat> and I, you have said to me, uh, you've already told us some of the things that make you happy. And you said to me, writing makes me happy. What is it about writing that makes you happy? It is the same as with my friends. Um, it helps me become whole. Uh, it allows me to bring things together that happened in different periods of my life, in different places, in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden I say, well, I'm not as broken mm -hmm. as I sometimes think I am. I'm still a whole person and mm -hmm. writing allows me to, to put together a story. Mm -hmm. And the story allows you to come out of this separated selves mm -hmm. and become mm -hmm. one because mm -hmm. you are the creator of it. Mm -hmm. So it mm -hmm. lets you do it. Gail's giving me that sign, right? Is it the, the time sign? It's the time sign. It goes so fast. It really does. Miriam, I've enjoyed listening to you so very much. And uh, I enjoyed being here. Thank you. I hope I did what I was supposed to do. There is no supposed to. It's just wonderful to listen to you. Yeah. Thank we, you. Um, we thank you, Miriam Ben Yosef, for joining us today. And I thank both of you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts on Facebook at Women Over 70. Ask questions, add to the conversation. Tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about. And become an active participant in our community. Invite your friends, family, colleagues to join in. Our goal is to create an intergenerational conversation. You can access our weekly Wednesday podcast at womenover70.com. And if you know a woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us. And thanks to the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at DePaul University for use of their recording space. And see you next week on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.